0: Episode 139 of the Pilot to Pilot Podcast takes off now. The Pilot to Pilot Podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. Hey, I'm Fernando Contreras, regional pilot based in Miami International Airport. Aviation, what is going on and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today is a fun episode with Fernando from Fit Aviators Club on Instagram and go figure. We talk a lot about fitness and aviation. We also touch on Fernando's story as well. Uh, he has a great story, a very interesting story and, and who inspired him to become a pilot and how he became a pilot. I, I just loved the story. I love talking with Fernando. It was a lot of fun. We we uh, we had a good time talking. and As you can tell, it's about hour and 26 minutes long. So I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be a great episode. Uh, It's really fun to talk about fitness and aviation because fitness and aviation can be really tough. It's the last thing you want to do at the end of a day is you want to make a good decision and eat the salad, eat the plain chicken, eat the salmon. You want the burger, you want the bacon, you want the fries, you want the beer. But sometimes it's not always great and I can tell you that right now because I've had those same decisions that I have to make and I did such a bad job that I'm now doing a crazy challenge that is helping me get back into shape and what I used to be as you hear me talk about this a little bit. But Aviation, I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on on Instagram, that's where I'm most active. That's where you can get in touch with me by DMing me on Instagram. Share this episode with everyone you know. Share the podcast with everyone you know. Just help get the word out of out the Pilot if they don't know already. Aviation, I want to keep you much longer. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. So without any further ado, here's Fernando. Fernando, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Out the Pilot podcast.
1: What's up, Justin? Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your podcast, man. I'm thrilled. I can't wait to chat.
0: Good man. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, uh obviously you're huge in the fitness. We were just talking before, so you caught me at the one time that I'm trying to do some fitness goals. I I played sports way way back in college and high school and kind of got away from it, but trying to get back into it now. So it's uh, it's funny that you hit me up right when I was getting into this fitness challenge. It's it's pretty ironic.
1: That's good, man. You know, they say great minds think alike. So, yeah. Um I'm I'm glad you're setting that goal for yourself now and It should bring you right back to where you were back when you played sports, dude.
0: Right. You must have a sixth sense about it. When someone's trying to work out, you're like, Oh my gosh, she's doing it now. I got to reach out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my talents, you know, (laughs) so (laughs) I use it on very peculiar people, but I'm glad it got me in connection with you, brother. That's
0: awesome, man. Well, cool. Well, let's go ahead and get started, man. I'm excited to talk to you. Like we talked about, uh, I always ask this first question. It is just the why. Why did you ever get into aviation? What was your original inspiration? Just kind of why did you want to go down this path, this career, or even just the why did you like aviation at first?
1: You know, what I find to be like some of the coolest things is everyone's, you know, different backgrounds of why they they got into aviation. I think it's such a fascinating topic. Mine in particular was I was born into aviation. I know that sounds like cliche, but everybody in my family are pilots. And so, ever since I was a little kid, aviation planes, aviation talk um things about training and aviation was everything I pretty much heard growing up um and since my we had family gatherings all the time, everybody in my family are pilots. that's all I would hear. so I just you know from hearing and listening to it, it's all I ever wanted to do.
0: That's awesome. so in we were talking before, you were born in Venezuela, right? Yes, that's right, so. In your family at the time was all in aviation, and they were in Venezuela. What is was that a popular career choice in Venezuela? Because obviously we're all in the United States right now, or not all. Some people might be listening to the other, but my expertise yeah. is United States general aviation or aviation in general. But how common is it for someone to be a pilot in Venezuela?
1: You know, it's, it, this, this was around like when I first love, fell in love with it. It was around like the 1991 when I was born. <laughs> so it was a very, very unique, you know, career to have. I still believe to think it is. Um, there's just a, a lot more opportunity now, which is great. You know, back then it was a little bit more, a little bit more challenging, a little bit more, less opportunities. And, and, and it was like kind of a smaller percentage of people that were able to be pilots. And, um, you know, the people who did, you know become pilots in Venezuela they created a very very tight friendship it was almost like having a family and you know um everybody had nicknames in the airlines and nobody knew each other really by their first name it was all knowing each other by their nickname and it was such a really really nice era of aviation there in Venezuela to experience which is not you know it's different than being here in the United States where the airline industry is a whole lot bigger you know you're talking about like some of the major airlines having like 15,000 pilots and you pretty much kind of don't fly with the same person all the time. So it's a bit of a different dynamic. Um but yeah, in Venezuela it was it was more being unique especially back then.
0: So when you say you come from a family of aviation was it grandpa, dad, like how far back did it go?
1: Yeah, uh my mom's dad, so my grandpa from my mom's side, my dad, my dad's brother, my mom's Two brothers are also pilots. Oh wow! <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's cool. It's really really cool. Did they all fly for the airlines in Venezuela?
1: Yes, um, they all start off uh, in the airlines in Venezuela, and now they've kind of. My dad is for another airline. Uh, my other uncles are in different airlines, and obviously my grandpa he retired. Um, a couple like man, probably like twenty years ago. Um, but. Yeah, I love hearing his my grandpa's stories about aviation, man. Like I asked him, like, you know, when I first did my first solo, like six years ago, he was like, yeah, I remember my first solo too. It was in, uh, the wings were made out of canvas. And I was like, what? That is so cool, man. Like, it's so different. I love learning and hearing his stories, man. And,
0: uh, do you have a favorite yeah. story of his that you're allowed to share? Or is he kind of like, "And hey, let's keep this between yeah. us?
1: Um, it's kind of, it, it is kind of that one, you know, and I told him, I was like, hey, well, I'm pretty sure you didn't get that high up in altitude. And he's like, nah, man, I took that thing up to like almost like 8,000 feet. And I was like, Oh no. Okay. I was like, I don't even know how you did that, but you did it, man. Like that's, that's good enough for me. <laughs> that's funny.
0: That's so funny. Well, yeah. When when you were inspired to to be a pilot, it was probably kind of the culture that they had. Like you saw how tight and close knit they were. Did you get to fly mm-hmm. at all in Venezuela or was your first flight when you moved to the States?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I did fly. So back then obviously the rules were a little bit differently um and internationally like my, my father whenever we would go on family vacations like he would allow my family I to be in the cockpit um he was the captain of a 727 at the time and um i that's where as soon as i walked into the flight deck of a 727 man i was like what are all these buttons i want to touch all of them my dad's like get your hands off of that <laughs> you don't know what you're touching but i will gladly teach you and that's where i fell in love with it and so like he i didn't do actual flying in venezuela but i got to experience being in the cockpit with him um at that time
0: it's funny that you bring up as a little kid you're in the cockpit and you wanted to touch all these buttons uh i think it was probably like a month ago now the guy i was flying with neil the captain i was flying with we had a kid on board and he wanted to come see the cockpit and we're like yeah come on up we landed by this time we're on the ground you know very little things that could very few buttons he could actually hit that would actually be an issue (laughs) And so we hit him, had, he hit the seatbelt sign to go on and off. And he's like, oh, that's fun. It's like, all right, now you can turn the taxi light on and off and did that. Yeah. And then we kind of stopped. We heard He he didn't want to touch anything anymore. He walked back and then he came back up. And I guess in his mind, he thought he could just touch whatever button he wanted. So he was like going for the our covered switches, our hot switches. And he was trying to lift yeah. up like uh, engine fire. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, 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 oh. whoa. Let's not <laughs> touch that button, please. So I was like, no, thank you. Appreciate it. you want a picture? All right, it's time uh, for this to yeah. stop.
1: That part would have been the most expensive picture they took. Oh man, man. they'd be like, and why
0: did he touch this? You thought yeah, it was exactly. a good idea to let a six year old touch buttons in the cockpit. Sweet. Red means no. I know, right? Yeah, that's going to be the next thing we say to people. It's like, all right, don't touch anything that's red. But as soon as exactly. you tell a kid that, the first thing they're going to do is see red and want to touch it. Touch you the know? Red. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, but that that brought up that story, so that's pretty funny. I'm sure you were the that same situation. You're like, Oh, you have three <laughs> engines, we can kill one of them, going will be fine.
2: Exactly. <laughs> so uh yeah, when yeah. did
0: so you have this love of aviation, you're in the seven twenty seven, which is arguably one of the coolest planes ever made. Um, what 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 was next? So how old were you in that seven twenty seven and how long before you actually were like, All right, this could be a career?
1: Man, I was probably like four or five when I was in the flight thick of that. Uh, plane. And then, you know, I always knew I wanted to be my career. And then, um, you know, we moved to the United States. Thankfully, you know, the opportunities that this country has presented for us have been, have been super amazing. I don't know if I would be where I'm at right now, if it wasn't for that. Um, obviously there has been challenges along the way, but I'm glad we were able to overcome them and to be able to ha- this is a career now, you know, I'm, I'm 29 and I started my aviation career in, t- uh, in 2014. So six years ago, um, just coming out <clears throat> of college, I was actually just trying to finish college, working a full time job and then starting flight school at the same time so that I could, uh, you know, fulfill my dream. So I always kind of knew I just made the transition a reality, um, as soon as I was graduating college, because my father said, you know, if you want to be a pilot, you need to have another degree in something else, or just have a plan B to fall back on. Cause you never know what could happen. and we are kind of
2: experiencing that now, yeah, you know, I
0: mean, it, so. your, your dad, you should really thank your dad for that. Cause that is the truest thing that has ever been said. It, it's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, I was just talking with my dad had a layover in Chicago and we were just talking, I had him on the podcast and we were saying how we never thought the industry would ever be like this again. You know, we never thought it could get to the point where there'd be furloughs and, and just like mass losses of jobs and, an airline yeah. struggling so bad, but here we are again, we seem to to be following that 10, 12, eight year curve, wherever you want to see a spike and go back down. But yeah, your dad, yeah, you should really thank your dad for that one because it's definitely important.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: What did you go to college for?
1: I studied business um, in Florida international university. Um, and but I'm mostly focusing on a whole lot of different things now. I think that that degree of of business did give me a really good overview in terms of management. Cause I'm really, I'm really good with people. I'm really good with being able to manage and human behavior and all that stuff. And that's kind of the reason why, um, I've been able to help a lot of people out like in the aviation or fitness and anything like that. So um, I think it gave me a really good solid foundation to the next things get to, that I'm setting out to do to help out a lot of people in, in aviation.
0: Yeah. When you, so you always knew you wanted to be a pilot, right? Like ever since you're in that 727 to when you're graduating college, you knew that your path was going to lead you down to aviation and become a pilot, correct? Mm-hmm. How hard was it for you to accept your dad's advice when you said, no, you have to get a degree in something else just as a backup plan? Uh, was it because obviously when, all you can think about what you want to do is become a pilot. It can be very hard to to devote your time to other things. It can be very hard to to study as hard as possible. And you know that what you really just want to do is go fly. Was that hard for you to accept? Was it hard for you to excel at? Or was it just kind of like, nope, I need to check this box and then go on?
1: Man, that is a solid question. I love that question. So I, you know, as looking at it back from now, I kind of wish I paid a little bit more attention in my actual degree because I really value knowledge now a whole lot more than I did when I was 18, 19, 20, you know? And so it it was hard because all I was in my mind, I'm like, why am I learning about business law when I like I could be flying right now? Or why am I learning about this when I could be flying? And what it really led me to now realizing nowadays is like, if it wasn't for some of those classes that I took, I wouldn't be in the position that I am now in helping so many people. So at the present moment, it was hard. It was hard that I, you know, I could, uh, I'd, I'd rather be flying rather than be sitting in a classroom learning about something that I may or may not use. And you don't know that at the time. But as you mature, as you're, as you're, as you evolve, you kind of come back and you realize that. And if I can give any piece of advice to anyone, is that you, you don't know what you're learning now, how it can benefit you in the future. So don't just take it for granted. Take, advantage of it as much as possible because you don't know how it's going to help you out later on in life.
0: Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, to look at when you're beginning your career to, to look at the opportunity to get your stuff done as quick as possible, get your hours in as quick as possible, come a CFI, build your time, go to the airlines, get that seniority number as quick as possible is obviously the best thing that you could do for your career here. Because a one number different can, can save you from being furloughed, from being fired, from losing your job, whatever it may be. But there's also that other part where like, Because you didn't do that. You are still at a regional airline. You are a captain. You are, you kind of like living your, your dream life. You're still able to do that. And maybe you got into it a little bit later. So I guess what I'm getting at is that you don't have to go all in in college. Like you can go do, you can go try to think of something else. You can, you can focus on business and then you can get into aviation a little bit later. You just have to kind of see what you want out of life. You know, you got to see, you got to, you got to determine your values. Do you value getting this education more than getting your flight school as quick as possible to get to
1: get that seniority number? Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you said hundred percent. That's perfectly said, Justin.
0: Yeah. And, but you know, like you said, you never know at the time when you are going to be using this information to, uh, when you're 18 years old, you could care less about education. Sometimes, you know, it's like, you just want to go out, have fun, go fly, go do fun things. You're not worried about waking up at 7am to learn uh, economics or to learn uh, business law and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What,
0: um, well, obviously, did you always have kind of? I mean, I know that you have kind of been into fitness for for at least for now. But have you always been a fitness lover and kind of had an idea that this was going to be a side hustle, or does this come about soon? Like, uh, has this come about later in your life?
1: So I've always been a fitness uh, person, just just regular health in general. Um, my uh, aside from looking up to my dad in aviation he would also take me going to go for runs or exercising or something. And he'd tell me the importance of it. And, um, my mom would also, uh, constantly just tell me about like, she's a, she's a dentist. So she would constantly tell me about like how bad foods can damage your teeth and can damage your, your, um, digestive system and this, this and that. And I got me really, really, really curious. Um, it's actually such a, such a weird story and how I got into it. I was remembering this a couple of days ago and on what was the first thing that I ever found out um, about my body that I wanted to, to understand and be able to fix. And I used to get car sick when I was little. And um I I would always feel like nauseous, so I figured that man, that's probably something that has to do with my digestive system. So like I was, I don't know, nine, and I started researching how a digestive system works. And then that kind of like fell into place. And then you know, as, as I would see my dad exercise and I would learn all these different things, I kind of just accumulated all that knowledge and, and it just became a part of my life. You know, ever since I was young, I can remember I was in middle school and I was 12 years old. I would wake up six in the morning, go for a two-mile a two run, then come back and do about 100 sit-ups. And then I get ready to go to school because that's something that I enjoy doing. I like to do. I was very, I'm very disciplined in that sense. You're insane. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better word. Yeah, you're nuts.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. like you're either one way or another. I feel like it's very rarely do you fall into like, eh, working out's okay. It's either like you love working out or you hate working out. And you can fall yeah. in the middle and like you could do it and force yourself to do it. But it's definitely, you're either one way or the other. It's like, I still hate working out. I I can't stand it. It's something I loathe to do, but I recognize the importance of it.
1: It just it just really all depends on how you view working out and how it fulfills your needs. Yeah. So. Very true. Yeah.
0: When you, mm-hmm. uh, you brought up a, a good point, I want to ask you a question is you you said when you came to the United States, it, it offered, it opened up so many opportunities for you and your family. If you yeah. were to stay in Venezuela, obviously what the current climate is now, like, I don't, I don't know too much about Venezuela, but when you read in the news, it doesn't seem great do you think you could still have the lifestyle you have now in Venezuela? Would you still be a pilot down there? Would you still have gone down that track? Or do you think your life would have been much different if you would have stayed in Venezuela?
1: I think my life would have been much uh, different, but at the same time, I think that since I was so passionate about trying to become a pilot, I think I would have tried to figure out any means possible to, to be able to do it. Now, um, in a lot of cases, you know, when I was a CFI, there were a lot of, uh, uh, there we, we did a lot of uh, students that were from Venezuela and oftentimes they, you know, they would have to be separated from their families in order to be able to achieve, you know, the, the dream that they're trying to. And so that's when I, I look at how fortunate I am to have been able to, you know, still pursue what I want, but uh, still being able to be with my family, you know, and um, live in, an oppor- in, a, in a place where there's opportunity and being safe and all that, but, so I think in Venezuela, it might have been a whole lot different. I would be in a totally different situation right now. I don't know where, probably where I would be. Yeah. Do you
0: go back there for a vacation or anything to go visit other family?
1: Oh, no, no, no. It's, you can't go. There. It's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Um, I haven't gotten back since 2004.
0: Oh, wow. Is that hard at yeah. all? Do you still have like grandparents that live there at all, or is everyone pretty much up in Miami?
1: Yeah, no, my, uh, half my family's still there. My grandparents and some uncles and, and aunts, but you know, they come here to the United States. And I think one of the reasons why I really value South Florida a lot is because there's a lot of people that are from Venezuela down here too. So it, it's hard not going back there and knowing that you had a piece of your life there, but being down here in South Florida, it, you kind of get that. The, the accent in Spanish that is spoken from Venezuela is when you hear that somebody else speaks that it kind of makes you feel like you're at home when you're eating at a place that's Venezuelan down here in Miami. That kind of stuff makes you feel like you're at home, so it's it's a it's so hard to describe because you're like you're not really really there, but the surrounding around here is the closest that you can be.
0: that makes sense, yeah, that definitely yeah. does make sense i yeah. I don't know if I've ever had this is random and doesn't have anything to do with this, but I'm actually interested I, I like trying new foods. Is there any Venezuelan food that you recommend that like if I ever get a chance to go to Venezuela, or how about this the number one Venezuelan restaurant, where you live and what what i what should I get?
1: oh man okay um there is a venezuelan bakery in south beach um i will i am going to have to text you the name of it because i forgot at the top of my head but it was actually during it was actually during an air show and um my good friend john rain uh waters he's the f-16 uh demo pilot at the time it was like three years ago that they had a air show down here and nobody in the team had ever had venezuelan food so i ran over to this bakery in south beach and I go and I get, I get them some empanadas. I get them some arepas. I get them some tequenos. And I bring it back to the hotel in South Beach, you know, after the air show is done. And man, till this day, they're like, dude, I want to go visit you to get some empanadas. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> all right. I'm going to have to yes. go try that. I don't, we go to yeah. South Florida all the time. I fly for, I fly corporate. So we go to like Palm Beach. Okay. We do go to Miami every once in a while. So I'll have to look out next time I, I'm down in that area. I'm going to have to send you a text message and we'll you have to let me know so I can go get some.
1: Okay. And randomly, it just pops into my mind, man. It's called Charlotte Bakery.
0: Oh, cool. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina,
1: so it works out perfect. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. There you go. You won't forget.
0: (laughs) I will never forget that. That's really fun. I would have never guessed that I was Venezuelan, but that's cool.
1: Yeah, it's cool. It's awesome.
0: Uh, How do you know John? Uh, John's been on the podcast before. Mr. Rainwaters himself. sweet. Yeah. Dude, John
1: is such a cool guy, man. Yeah, John's Um, awesome. I got got the pleasure of knowing John. This was like maybe... uh, Back in 2016, um, there was an air show in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and I, I flight instructed up there for a little bit for uh, the flight school where I'll also learned how to fly CTI professional flight training. And um, I kind of like, I wanted to take a picture with him uh, taxiing in, and he actually just stopped the plane and threw up a peace sign. And he photobombed. So I went to go say, Hey, thank you for stopping the plane and making like the picture real nice. And he's like, Yeah, anytime. And then <clears throat> later on that, that day, we all, they, everybody went out to dinner and we all ended up in the same restaurant and we sat together and we just talked and we became good friends. Awesome.
0: man! That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. It's funny how aviation can connect you in so many ways. And it's like two people that come from two way, different types of flying or just like different worlds. If you just mention you have aviation, you can randomly sit down next to them at a dinner and become friends for life, swap stories, swap <laughs> everything. So oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, hey, let's take a break real quick. I'm going to, I have an ad for this episode. So we'll take a break. we will read that real quick and then we'll get right back. All right. Welcome back. And Fernando, thanks for bearing with me. I appreciate it. I want to kind of dig into why you made the decision to get into aviation, like when you actually did. So you just graduated college and you are forced with uh, this decision. I mean, you could have like gone into the business world, but you did choose to to fly. What were you looking for in a flight school? What were you looking for to start your career in aviation?
1: So, what I was mainly looking for in a flight school was um you know the quality of attention that I was gonna get, not that I was just gonna be some other person who's gonna give you thousands of dollars and then you just you know like uh treat me like a like am like I'm another like number you know um because that also has to that also plays into you know the quality of the school, the quality of the people that the school hires and and I kind of went through some flight schools where I just didn't get that vibe that it was just going to be like, hey, my career is not that really important to you. It is really important that I just get your money and that we make you a pilot and then you're out. So when I came across CTI professional flight training, it was it was different, man. It was it was kind of like, hey, these people welcome me in and everything was like they sat down with me and they told me how the process was not only for costs, but also for like how the flight training is going to go. And then they also provided opportunities for me after the flight school depending on how I would perform and that was that's just a different take that's just something else that just kind of like grabbed my full attention and maybe be like this is the place to be you know so uh they hit right the spot yeah
0: yeah there's a difference between kind of like a pilot mill and a flight school that really does care about you and there's there's different options for everyone I mean sometimes you do go on a good day and you get them where they where they do they act like they care about you and other times you might get them where they're having a bad day and they might not give you the best pitch ever but it's definitely Absolutely. flight schools is like very interesting you really need to do your research because you you can get pretty much you can learn how to fly anywhere you will get the basis of knowledge how to learn how to fly. But a lot of times it's more than that. I mean, spending the the most amount of money isn't always the best deal. But if you spend more money on your flight training because you believe truly that it's going to set you up better for a professional career, then by all means, go spend that money. You will not regret it at all. Well, you might when you're paying off loans in like 20 years. But other than that, you'll be enjoying it, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. You hit hit it right on the spot, man. When When
0: you were looking for flight schools, were you looking just in the Florida area? Obviously, that's one of the best places to flight train. Or were you open to training anywhere in the whole country?
1: No, I was just mainly down here in South Florida just because I was still in college and I was still living with my parents at the time. So, uh, you know, ex- in terms of living expenses and everything, th- that's where it was a little bit cheaper.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and when, you, yeah. when you're when you going through this process, was your goal to be an airline pilot or was your goal kind of wherever this career takes you?
1: Always, always to be uh, an airline pilot just because that's kind of what I grew up in, you know, following uh, my, my dads and grandparents and uncles footsteps.
0: And then when you were able to to finally fly for that first time in a small plane, was that the first time that you've ever been up in a small plane or did your parents and your grandpa ever take you up on a small one?
1: No, that was the first time in a small plane, man. That's crazy. It was I, incredible. Yeah, it was I come incredible. from an
0: aviation <laughs> family too. And my first time in a small mm-hmm. plane was when I was 20, 20 years old when I took my first flight as well.
1: Yeah. And how did that
0: feel? It was crazy. It was so cool. And <laughs> it was weird because when I grew up, I never really thought aviation was a career path for me. I always thought I was going to do sports. And then when that kind of... And when that kind of ended on its own, I was like, well, I guess I should try aviation now. So <laughs> then I went to go fly and I was like, all right, this is, this is what's up. This is where I needed to be. This is a lot of fun.
2: Exactly. That's cool,
1: man.
0: What was your first flight like?
1: Man, my instructor was like, all right, listen, we're going to do this. And we're going to go on a scenic tour over the shoreline of Miami. And then we're going to go to the practice area. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you what it's going to feel like. to Feel like a stall, maybe slow flight. And then we're going to come back. Oh, man, we went like, ABC was like, hey, just stay out or below 500 feet over the shoreline. You know, keep your minimum safe altitude or whatever. And then, dude, incredible. We were flying like so close to the beach and like just being able to see everything from that perspective. I mean, flying in South Florida is is great on its own. But just uh, getting to experience that little small plane and being able to do GA stuff, feeling more free. And, and where you could turn and where you could go, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing.
0: I will say flying in South Florida is also terrifying when you're doing VFR, if you don't have flight following, because there is so much traffic. When we do repo flights from, say, like Palm Beach or to Boca or Palm Beach to Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach to Miami, we have more kind of traffic advisories and, and RAs than anywhere else yeah. in the whole country. It is insane a lot. It is a lot. I bet when you were flying, you had no idea. Your flight instructor was probably sweating bullets. Like, alright, there's a plane there. There's a plane there. And you're over there just smiling from ear to ear. Like, this oh, yeah. is so
1: much fun. Oh, yeah. I was taking videos. Yeah. I was just like, man, let me record this first time flying. Right?
0: He's like, he's like, why are you sweating, man? This is fun. You're like, you have no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: How was uh, how was your training as a whole? Did you struggle with anything?
1: Um, luckily, I did not struggle. Uh, with too many things Um, a lot of it had was because like I spent almost my whole life learning about certain things I spent my whole life almost learning about like VORs and like instrument approaches and stuff like that and like I had flight simulator in my computer so I was like I already kind of knew how to fly them and um, you know if if there was something that I kind of struggled with was probably like just spending so much time creating a flight plan <laughs> i'm like damn i gotta go work out and i'm doing this flight plan like oh but no, it did comes teach me, it, i know exactly now everybody gets to use for flight that's awesome good for them good for them
0: <laughs> that's really funny no you're definitely right so you did you sound like the type of person that when you have an idea of some kind of concept or what you want to do you take a deep dive and you learn everything you can before you get started is that kind of how flying was too
1: um, it just so happened to be like that way. Uh but yeah, you're right, in the sense that I like I try to I try to get as much knowledge about something before I start doing it. Um yeah, I, I definitely try to. I, I don't want to feel um uncomfortable in the sense of I don't I haven't learned this yet. So I don't want to waste somebody else's time and me trying to learn it at this time. But then again, that's like stepping out of your comfort zone and you need that in life. You need that kind of variety, you need that kind of spontaneous uh, you know, events, then that's what allows you to grow. That's what allows you to to become better than that you thought you were. You don't necessarily have to learn everything before you start and do something. So that's kind of something that I learned in the transition of many other aspects that I've applied myself into besides aviation.
0: Yeah. And and every student is different. So I struggled with, the biggest thing I struggled with wasn't necessarily the flying. It was putting in the time to learn everything else behind flying. And Mm -hmm. you and I differ because you kind of came pretty prepared for your first lesson where I was like, Hey, what's up? Airplane. Let's, what does that do? Power forward, pull back. We'll fly, have a death grip with two hands. He's like, no one hand. I was like, Oh, okay. Got it. One hand. But, (laughs) but it's uh, every, every student listening to this is different. Like, I just want you to know that it's okay. If you're the one that does a deep dive and you know, everything you can possibly know going into your first day. And it's also okay to be the student that knows nothing. A flight instructor, would like you to probably know a little bit behind it, but they also probably don't mind seeing a blank canvas and being able to teach you their way and how they want to teach you. So it's okay if you find yourself being in both situations. Like, there's no right or wrong. It's just what works for you. Now, don't be lazy on the other hand. Like when you when I was when I was studying, I was just lazy and I was like, oh, Call of Duty or <laughs> study, and that's a no one would ever choose studying over Call of Duty. <laughs> so yeah, just uh, just make sure you put the time in, and then you'll be
1: fine. Exactly. Well said, bro. Well, well said.
0: Did you find any pressure with coming from an aviation family? Did you put kind of unwanted pressure on yourself for performing and making sure you passed every check ride or making sure you like you represented your family name well?
1: Um, No, that's a that's a great question, man. I never really ever felt that I kind of felt more of like, uh, I can't wait to share with my family what I did today or what I learned. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there's still a lot of things that I had to learn when I went to flight school. Um, I didn't come fully prepared for for all, all that. And I was just excited to to be able to share that with my family. Um, and I was also very excited to share the things that I did struggle in sometimes flying. Like, I think one of the hardest things was uh, it's, a, it's a commercial maneuver where you have to, like, do, like, the pivotal altitude and you have to kind of, like, do a turnaround point. I forget the name of it, but I was just like, damn, like, this is not setting in my head right now. And so I'm like, all right, let me, let me, let me consult my dad or my grandpa or my uncles and see what they're like, dude, I haven't seen this shit in like 20 years. Like, there's no, I'm not going to be able to explain this to you. And I was like, all right, that's fine. So I, 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 it made me reach into, you know, other places to go find out, you know, YouTube videos and stuff like that. But there was never like a, like a, I I have to hold up to my family standard or something like that, which is, which was kind of nice.
0: Was any, was any one of your family members more proud of you and what you're doing? Like your, your uncles, your dad, your grandpa, your mom, was any one of them just like, this is awesome that you're doing this? Or are they all kind of about the same?
1: All kind of about the same. They all knew since I was a little kid that this is what I wanted. So they were, they were really, really happy when I first started.
0: Did they all push you this way? Did they all like recommend it? Or were they kind of similar to your dad and saying, Hey, you should probably get a, a, some other education first and come on over.
1: Yeah, they were all, they all said, look, it it, it just, just, they gave me the warnings. Look, if you're like, you know, the lifestyle, you know, I've missed some of your birthdays, you know, I've missed some Christmases, some new years, some holidays and stuff. Um, You know, they, they all said, just be ready that that this is going to be your life, you know? And it's all based on seniority. And it's all based on like all these different things. Like once you have a family, you're going to experience this being a single pilot or being a pilot just in a relationship is different when you have Kids, you know, so um, y- they all kind of gave me like, this is what you're going to get into. We're, re- we're really happy you're going to get into it, you know, but consider all these things. And if that's something that's not part of your life, it may not be the career path you want to choose. Or you can or you can still fly and be a flight instructor like where you're home every night or find a job where you can be home every night. Uh, I know some corporate jobs. You can be home every night and stuff like that. So, um, you know, the possibilities were endless, but they kind of did all say, get a degree first before you become pilot.
0: Smart people, smart people, surround yourself with good people (laughs) and they will, they will not lead you astray. That is very, very true. Uh, did you struggle with any check rides at our, when you're coming up?
1: Oh, definitely. I think everyone struggles with this one, the CFI, the first initial CFI check ride. Thank goodness. I never took that. (laughs) Oh, dude, it was brutal. It was so bad. How long did it
0: take uh, you? Was it one of those uh, like 10 hour check rides?
1: Yeah. The oral was like seven hours or something. And you know, they go in there uh, knowing that you know certain things. So they're going to ask you the things that you don't know on purpose, just so that they can kind of like get you out of your comfort zone and see if you can go to the right places to get the answers. But it creates a lot of stress in you. So by the time you're done with the oral, you're like all exhausted. The guy's like, it's up to you if you want to fly or not. And I was like, yeah, whatever, let's go. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't leave this for the next day. I can do this, man. I get up there, flying, the flying was all fine, but he was like, okay, so how are you going to, how are you going to determine the difference between a uh, commercial standards and private standards? I was like, oh damn, this is the one thing I forgot to study, dude. And he nailed me on it. I was like, well, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to train them to be really, really good and not lose any opportunity not any off their heading." And they're like, no. No, no, that's not going to fly. You need to know the difference of how much altitude a commercial pilot versus a private pilot can lose or gain. And so he's like, oh, "I can't pass you because of this." You have to know it. And I was like, "Damn! All right, fine." So we went back, and he gave me another try a week later. I learned my 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 standards of between a commercial pilot and a and a private pilot. And then he's like, "All right, you're good to go." <laughs> but it was it was hard, man. It was hard. <laughs> That's like, I mean, I
0: guess I get that, but at the same point, it's like when you're training someone, you're going to bring out the, what is it? The PTS or whatever it's called. Yeah. And you're going to be like, all right, you need to do this and this and this. Like, that's something that I feel like on a check ride, maybe isn't like the most important thing in the world. Cause you could learn that. And it, I don't know, yeah. but every yeah. instructor is different. Every examiner is different. I don't know. He's probably mm-hmm. seen a lot and realized that, Hey, if people don't know this stuff, they might mess up something else. So he definitely probably has more experience and knew what what he was doing. So can't question him, but that does suck. It's not like he messed up anything like crazy crucial.
2: (laughs) Right, right,
1: right. But it's learning experience and and you take forward with it, you know, just like you said. When you did fail
0: your CFI, did you come out of that thinking like, your career's over, I'm crushed, I'm never going to be able to get a job?
1: Um, I did have, man, I did feel really, really down when that happened, just because I am a, I hold very high expectations for myself. Um, And it was, I didn't think my career was going to be over or anything like that. But I was just like, like, damn, like, why is something so small has to be now something that I failed at? And, you know, you you feel sad at the moment. But then after that, you know, you, you pick yourself back up and you're like, well, I'm this kind of pilot, and I've done this. Like my hard work has not gone to to crap because of this. Like I, I know who I am. I know what kind of pilot and what kind of abilities I have. I'm just gonna go do what he what he says that I need to work on and, and apply myself to it. And, and through that, you you learn, you know, discipline, and you learn to have patience, and you learn to have, you know, that that motivation, that extra motivation that you need to to become even better.
0: So say someone listening right now, maybe they just failed their private instrument or commercial. What's some advice that you'd give them? I know that you just said, just like just double down to study and prove them wrong and and pass it the next time. Uh, you have any other kind of advice that you give them, especially since you're a CFI and you've probably been in that situation before.
1: Yeah. Well, a piece a really good piece of advice that I, that I would give to them is that, you know, don't let that failure bring you down or, um, Make you question your abilities. You obviously got to the point of your check ride because your instructor and, and other tech instructors that you've gone through your training in obviously think you have the skill and the talent to be able to go through a check ride like this. Now, we all go through some parts where, w- you know, w- we we might forget something and it could be because of nerves. It could be because maybe you didn't eat right or something like that and you, you're starving and you forget you have a brain fart. And like, don't let those little things like that, that are out of your control, um, take you, strip you away from your, from your confidence, from your, from your abilities that you know you can't do. Be certain that, that those are things that are with you, have your confidence and that same certainty and that same confidence in yourself is what's going to get you to study whatever it is that that examiner said that you probably didn't do so well in. And that's going to be how you're going to be motivated to study that and then pass it the next time you're in your checkride.
0: Would you agree with the fact where a lot of CFIs try to make kind of like, Hey, if I sign you off for a checkride, you've already passed your checkride. Like you'll never have harder flights than you do with me. Is that kind of how how you experienced it as a student pilot and how you kind of went after it when you're a CFI?
1: Um, there is that. So yeah, I kind of experienced it in a sense of, uh, you know, we went through stage checks. I was in a 141 flight school and the stage three was supposed to be like the hardest thing. And if you can pass that, then you can pass the check ride. But the thing is, it's not always about how hard this is. It's really about the little curveballs that they can throw you in a check ride. And some of those curveballs could be like things that you learned in stage one, which was the easiest stage, <laughs> you know? So it's all a matter of perspective. I think that if, you're, if your flight instructor trains you in a way that this is the hardest, like training you super, super hard... Um, they're just really in reality, kind of, you know, setting you up for, for success. It just really all depends on how your instructor, um, you know, is able to bond with you, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I mean, the best instructor is the best for certain people. Like the best instructor in the world may not jive well with your personality or how you learn. Right. And you shouldn't force right. yourself right. To, to learn that way. You should go find someone else that suits the way that you learn better because there's so many instructors out there that have the ability to teach and teach really well. Now, there are terrible instructors out there as well, but they you never know. You can meet the right person and it could just be really kind of click it off. And don't be afraid Also, don't like shy away from, from learning from someone that's tough. Don't be like, don't use it as an excuse. Like you just don't get it. Like uh, try your hardest. And if you still aren't getting it after a couple of weeks, then maybe it's time to go with someone else, but it's definitely important Mm -hmm. to to find the right one for you.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Did you ever have to do that at all? Or were you pretty, did you jive pretty well with all your instructors?
1: No, luckily, the instructor that I had, so one of the good things about that play school was that, you know, before you even start, he, the chief pilot kind of sits down with you and tries to get you, a, to, gets to know you a little bit. And then he, from what he gets to know you, pairs you up with an instructor that he thinks that is it's it's going to be a good fit. And it was, man, it, it was right on. My instructor and I bonded really, really well, the material that, you know, he would compare things to in, 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 in a lifestyle like mine. He made me real uh, visualize things in a really, really easy way. But that's because we had that bond, and um, it just worked out.
0: Did you have the same instructor for all your ratings?
1: Um, yeah, I did. And the check instructors obviously had to be had to be different.
0: But and you, um, oh,
1: keep going. Sorry the the check instructor. Um, he was a little bit more on the tougher. Mm-hmm. But it, you know that's where you kind of learn of like, hey, you're gonna be with someone right now who is probably doesn't bond with you and probably teaches a whole different way and likes things done a whole different way. You're, you have to have the ability to be able to mold to that. You know, like as, as a student, you have to have the ability to mold to somebody else's teaching because you can't always take it against that person. You, if you say, my instructor taught me this way, well, your instructor's way is not the only right way. There might be another one. So you have to be kind of open to that. That that other instructor may be relating information to you in a way that you think it's negative or a way you think it's condescending because he's probably telling you like, hey, how come you didn't know this? But in reality, he's he, you're there for a check right. He just he wants you to maybe he wants you to really pass it. Um, he's just not that you guys just don't have that bond in which that information is communicated In a way that you're used
0: to. Yeah. And I mean that's foreshadowing to your aviation career. You know, as (laughs) as being a first officer as a captain, that you're not gonna jive Mm -hmm. well with everyone in there, but you're going to know that he's an Mm -hmm. operator under the SOPs and if not, then you bring it up. But if, I mean, it's okay to have personality clashes. It's it's okay to not want to go out and get a beer with the guy or go uh, in your case, go (laughs) get like a healthy salad and some water, you know, (laughs) it's a, it's okay to, to not get along. And the fact that you want to hang out and be best friends just as long as you guys get it done, get the job done and, and then can understand the common goal of a safe flight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's exactly right
0: i guess that's my case now too since i'm not i can't drink for the next 49 days whatever it is i'm not keeping count i promise but i am um so i guess another thing you had the same instructor so when you became or you had the same instructor for pretty much all your ratings when you became Mm -hmm. an instructor did you find yourself modeling your techniques after him or did you kind of take his techniques and make them your own
1: um i modeled a lot of his techniques in terms of like being relaxed and how to uh you know, communicate that all that information, uh, but throughout the whole becoming a CFI, um, you really kind of get to know how you like to teach. So, uh, there were, there were certain things in where my instructor, I was like, man, I wish he would take the time to teach it to me like that. That's where I put, that's where my own thing came from. So I kind of mix and match my own to with, with his. And, um, I just developed that, that kind of teaching method.
0: Yeah. I mean, you definitely have to develop it on your own. Like you need to tailor this when you're an instructor, you need to figure out how the, how your student learns. And you got to try to tailor it exactly. as well. So if you try to do everything you're instructed with you, you would be in a lot of trouble with most of your students. Uh-huh. Cause I guarantee you not uh-huh. all your, your, your students learn like you. Oh yeah. Did you enjoy yeah, instructing?
1: Exactly. I did, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I really enjoyed teaching and I really enjoy, um, when, when things are given, like not given to me, but when things are, um, when I get to experience something so great and I know somebody else is in that room or in that, in that school to want to experience the same thing, I want to do almost everything possible for them to have that experience in their own way. It's not going to be the exact same as mine, but they're going to have that own experience where they're like, wow, this is amazing. And so with that, I, uh, that's where my motivation came through cause I want to contribute to others. I want to help people out. And, um, that's where my motivation to be like a really good instructor and enjoy what I actually do. That's where my motivation came from. So I can transfer that to my students and to everybody that I fly with.
0: Before you became an instructor, what did you think was going to be the hardest part about being an instructor?
1: Um, you know, I wasn't originally going to be an instructor because once I have graduated flight school, I was actually going to go overseas and start flying for an airline that it was a um, that was allowing pilots with about 250 300 hours um, to be able to have like a, a first officer spot in a 737. So I was like, wow, this is gonna be great. So you know, I went through a I went through all their hiring process, which a hiring the hiring process for an in, uh, international airline is way different than an airline here. There's so many more different tests and so much more old school stuff and aptitude tests, math skills, and. So many things that I just didn't see here in the interview. And um, at that point, you know, they were like, you know what, we're actually going to be cutting back some routes. So we're not going to hire anybody right now. And I was like, well, I'm not going to sit here and just wait. I'm going to have to become an instructor. So six months times passed before I graduated from the time I graduated to the time that I actually became an instructor, um, just because I was kind of trying to go another route, an airline route um First, but then I came back to instructing, and I think that the hardest part where where I thought instructing was going to be was to just not be able to transcribe all the information without having to look at my notes. But then, <laughs> but then you like really get super good at it, and then you're like, oh wow, this only took like a little bit of time because you know it's, it's it all depends what drives you. Yeah, you know. For sure
0: What was the actual hardest part of being an instructor? Was it different than that, or would you say that's what it, what, what was the hardest part?
1: Um, I think the I think the hardest part was when some when a student wasn't like, you know, moving forward with the stuff, um, just kind of molding, trying to like now you're figuring out like, okay well, how can I actually bond with this person in a different way to maybe uh, maybe get them to to understand this concept easier? Or are they having like a little like a little bit of a of, um, of a wall up? Because of something that's happening completely out of aviation, that's not letting them, you know, get this information. And so a little bit of the harder part was trying to figure out how to communicate with that other student, with that student in a different way. But I, I don't know. I, I, it was more of like, I, I, since I love human behavior, I, I took it as like a motivation and a challenge for me. But there's a, there comes a point where like I realized it's really not the instructor. It's just like the sometimes the student's not really willing to put in to put in that time, and that's when you have to say, okay, this is not this is this is no longer me. I'm no longer failing this student at trying to do this. It's that that person doesn't want to put in their work or their time to to be successful in that. You know?
0: Did you find that happen quite often, or is that rare?
1: No, it only happened to me once. Okay. And it well, was it, it, it was it was it was it wasn't a thing that you're just like you you move on from it. You're like, wow, I kind of wish this person would have gone through it, but. Then when you look at it later on, you're like, yeah, this person wasn't really into aviation like that. What, so, what was the outcome? Is he still in aviation, or do you get out? No, no, it was it was a she, and she 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 uh, ended up doing ended up doing something else. I think it took her to kind of like experience it a little bit just to see if it was for her or not. Um, so you know, it, it was a part- particular case, but you know, she was a great person all in all. But it just it just wasn't for her.
2: Yeah.
0: When you uh, you were mentioning a, a foreign airline that you're trying to get onto, when that didn't fall through, was that kind of a tough moment for you and kind of a, a setback in your career?
1: Um, it was not because I always think of a way where, I, how am I going to keep moving forward? You know, if it's not this airline, it's going to be the next thing. Or if it's not this, it's going to be that. So one door closes and I'm immediately looking for which knob is going to open up the next door.
0: Good. That's awesome. That's a good way to let, that's harder. It's easier said than done. Don't you agree? Like Absolutely. when you get the bad news, you're like, all right, what's next. And mm-hmm. you think it might just be like immediately like on the next, but it, it's so much easier said than done. And it's okay to kind of harp on it for a little bit and let it hurt you and let it kind of, uh, uh, kind of spark that fire to go find something else.
1: I agree. 100%. Yeah, man, you were good. You were good. I like
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, man. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. That's funny.
0: Uh, so yeah, so you are CFI. How long did you CFI for?
1: Uh, for about like uh, two years, a little okay. under two years.
0: Did you go to the airline mm-hmm. as quick as you could? You like, as soon as you got to 1500 or 1200 or thousand, whatever the hour amount you needed, or just stay a little longer?
1: No, exactly. Rev right. As soon as whatever I needed, what that number was, I got into it. And then I just got into the airline, got into the regionals.
0: How long have you been at a regional for?
1: Uh, three years, a little over three years
0: now. What was that process like when you were going through the interviews? And and I'm guessing at that point, since three years, so that means everyone was hiring and signing bonuses were pretty Mm -hmm. good at that point. So were you kind of just taking the first offer or did you really research it to find the right one for you?
1: I really did research it to find the right one for me. It it came down to two regionals. And I really went to my instructor for this advice. And he's like, look, you're not going you're not going to know you made a bad decision until you after you made the decision. That's even if it's bad, like you're never going to know somebody. There's so many things that can happen that it could be like, man, if I would have just gone to this airline, but you can't think about it that way. The way you should, or you could think about it is that what's the airline that's going to benefit me the most in terms of where the base is located. Do I have to commute? Is there plenty of flights for my commute? Is, is, is it going to get me to where I want to be in like 10 years so that's why I chose the airline that I chose in because it had a base in Miami. It had to get me to the airline that I want to get to in a certain amount of years. It offered me all these things that it benefited, it benefited me in a way that I thought was the best. And so I chose that one.
0: Yeah, you got to find out what works for you. You got to figure out what your priorities are and, and what you're willing to, to kind of give up. I guess in a way, what, what you're okay with not having versus what you really need to have. Kind of your pros and cons list, and everyone should make that. And then when it comes to majors, you pretty much take the first one that comes your way, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Unless you have options, then you take the one that's best for you. Right.
0: <laughs> Which people used to have options. and Who knows when those options exactly. will actually come back. Now, obviously... Yeah coronavirus uh, COVID-19 is really having its way with the industry. Were you close at all to, were you pretty close to to having that flow time or to getting over to the majors when this is all going down? Or are you still, would you still have some time left?
1: Yeah, I still had a little bit of time. I still had about like two, two and a half years. Okay. So yeah. at
0: least it wasn't like where some people just got hired at American or just got hired at United and now they're kind of sitting yeah. in that spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That's a, that's a really tough spot. Um, to be in, but you know, like on the positive side, like as soon as this all this stuff like gets back on, they're going to be the first ones to get back in there. You know, it's just finding something in the meantime that could that could get them along. And
0: I'm guessing where you are as a captain, you're probably safe with where the furloughs are going to be for now, as they're advertised. Are you safe?
1: Yeah, in terms of in terms of furloughs, yes. But you know, things things just seem to be changing, you know, weekly or sometimes daily that. um you know, like in terms of in terms of furlough, yes, but in terms of like being downgraded, like who knows, sometimes they say they needs X amount of captains to be downgraded and, and it turns out to be not that number, it turns out to be less or it turns out to be more. So in both categories, thankfully, I'm still safe, but kind of have to play it day by day and just kind of be able to accept this uncertainty.
0: How do, kind of the mindset of, so say you're safe right now, but it would really suck if you were to be downgraded to FO. Like, I mean, that just, it does suck outside of its own, but obviously it's (laughs) kind of like a weird situation because you're still safe from still having a job where your friends are actually getting furloughed. How do you view that like mentally in yourself? Like, do you feel like you're kind of, I mean, I guess I would be pissed if I was downgraded, but even though when you see other people get furloughed, I would think that I'm being kind of like a jerk in a way, not being sensitive to where they are. Is that kind of hard right now in this time where you can still have a job, but you see all your other friends that are getting furloughed or maybe your're first officers that have worked so hard to get here, whether this is their second career or whether they're like twenty three years old and and finally having a, a pretty good job in aviation
1: yeah it it definitely is tough to see that whether you know whether you're still as a captain or downgraded it, it is pretty it is pretty tough, but at the same time, I still think that. You know, <clears throat> with with things that happen there, there's other opportunities somewhere else. And I think that everybody has the ability, everybody has the talent and the skills. I mean, if you're a pilot, you definitely have skills to do more than just fly in a plane, you know, and whether in and, and, and because of the unfortunate events, because timing is of something that nobody is really in control of. When the timing that things happen or the time that you enter the airline, is it a time that's going to keep you safe or keep you now? Like, who knows? So in terms of that, it's hard to see your like friends go through through some of these things. But in how I try to make myself feel a little bit better and is, is by t- contributing to them and and being able to be resourceful and helping them find maybe an aviation job somewhere else or or, you know, I'm always about networking and who knows who. And they have an opening. I'm like, hey, man, I know this great guy. He just got furloughed, but like, there's an opportunity here, you know? And, and so if I can present, uh, be able to present opportunities for other people, it kind of, you know, doesn't make it so, so rough.
0: When you yourself look back and think about like a different career paths you could choose and say, you know, what you're getting into right now and you know that maybe your dream of being an American pilot, a United pilot, a Delta pilot, UPS, FedEx, whatever it may be, has significantly been pushed back and maybe that huge payday you are hoping for has been pushed back. Would you still, say if you could go on a time machine, go back to yourself, taking your first flight lesson and be like, don't do it. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Or would you go there and be like, yeah, man, it's going to be a crazy ride, but it's going to be worth it.
2: I will go, I will,
1: this second option, 100%, yeah. eyes closed all day, every day. <laughs> I'm going to do it. One hundred percent. I'm going to do it. I'd rather I'd rather be in this industry with with some uncertainty and knowing that I'm I'm doing something that I passionately passionately want to do, than have certainty and not have passion i like it that's just that's just my thoughts though you know everybody's
0: different would you be okay say if you were a regional captain for the rest of your life like if say that's just how the cards turned out to be and you're flying the same routes i mean eventually you get some seniority and i'm sure the money there can be pretty good but it's not like major good Mm -hmm. and the routes aren't as fun but would you be okay
1: um i you know right now i say i would not I would not just be okay with that because I, I, there's certain things that as a child that I wanted to achieve. Like f- doing a, a flight to Europe is one of my dreams that I want to do. So if I have to get out of the airlines and do something corporate to be able to fulfill that, I probably, I probably would do that. But I say that now because I'm in a certain life zone right now. Um, If I had, if I had, if I was married and I had kids, now I value certainty a, a little bit more. And where you know, if I have good seniority here, seniority is really what matters, and this paycheck is steady, I might reconsider that, you
0: know, yeah, it's well said it it's different for everyone, I mean it's kind of just aviation yeah. in general is different for everyone, and your yeah. your story changes as you as you grow and as you have a family, as you have a wife, a husband, a partner, yeah. whatever it is you, you're yeah your priorities change. And obviously when you have kids, everything else changes and you want stability, you want time off. And maybe those young dreams of going to Paris and going to the Eiffel tower and doing whatever <laughs> you want to do in, in whatever country at like 29 years old, 30 years old, it, it might be a little different, but yeah.
1: You're right. You're that, that's right. a good answer. And it's a beautiful man. story, man. It's a beautiful story. Whatever path you take.
0: That's very true. You can, you can find good yeah. in each one. Well, mm-hmm. it sounds like, I mean, it's just, I hate seeing what's going on with the airlines. Um, it's just so hard to see. I mean, one of my goals when I was first starting out was to go the airline route. And then I kind of just meandered off that route and found that I really love corporate and fractional life. So I kind of just stuck with that. But it's just, it's mm-hmm. so hard to see because people work so hard to get to where they want to get. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. like, it is not an easy career. let alone Even when you have everything good going your way, it's not an easy career. And then when you have this kind of stuff pop up and, and aviation reels, root shows its real ugly head you know it's just uh mm-hmm. it's so unfortunate so keep your head up and this goes for everyone there i mean hopefully this will be you'll get back and people will get back sooner rather than later and you won't see that downgrade or just things will keep on going up and you'll fly me to china one day or fly me over to uh to <laughs> amsterdam you know so, yeah. on some yeah. crazy airplane <laughs> <laughs> What, um, so I want to talk about your side hustle you got going on. So talk a little okay. bit about that right now and and talk a little bit about how being a pilot can afford you the opportunity to have a side hustle.
1: So my side thing is, uh, you know, I'm, I help people with the, their fitness journey or their health journey in a, in the aviation industry, or also if you're a frequent traveler. So, um, I started with social media. I started, you know, with Instagram, it's called fit aviators club. Um, And I basically created that name because, you know, it's not just about, hey, me, I'm in really good shape. I'm going to show you how to get in shape. It's not really about that. It's really about a club of people who are fit. And I take everyone's motivation, not just mine, but other crew members who are out there that are also trying to maintain a fit, healthy lifestyle. And everybody has their own journey. And I kind of use that as a club thing for it to just create motivation of everybody who, who does follow um, the page and um, it's created an immense impact, you know, to the points where I've been recognized in, in, in a lot of places and, and I've been thanked for, you know, results that, that have come out, you know, and, and um, I re- I originally started this, not knowing like what I was going to get into, but I, a lot of people just asked me for help. And I was like, well, I'm going to start helping people at a massive level. And that that's through social media. So, um, the side hustle really became when, uh, which is the hustle part is now when I'm transitioning it to be more of like, um, a, a business kind of thing. Um, and it's because I, it, you know, the, the motivation that I kind of create to people um, it's not through repet- repetitive, like speaking or, or motivational speaking and stuff. It, it kind of does do with motivational speaking, but it's more about the psychology aspect behind the motivation. It's not just like, it's not just like eat a salad because it's healthy for you. That's not going to motivate anyone to do anything, you know? So, um, I, I, I'm sure you've heard of, uh, Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins. So I used to work for Tony Robbins, personal trainer. And this was back when I was also getting my commercial license and now it was my part time job to work with him. And that's when I started to get Tony Robbins and, and we had seminars and we had all these things. And that's where I fell in love even more with human behavior and, and how to really, truly motivate people. And so I've been following Tony and them for a couple of years, pretty long time. And then, you know, I was like, this is something that I want to do. And so now I'm taking a, a course. Um by Tony Robbins and Chloe Madonis. And they put together this course, which is called strategic intervention life coaching. And it's basically, you know, how to do, how to do life coaching at, in a way in which you're going to teach people to be able to use the resources that, that you provided for them so that they can create empowering change themselves. You're just kind of like the, the, the instructor let's so to, so to say. On how you're going to provide these materials to these people, so that they can find that motivation themselves and make lasting change. So um, that is a certificate that I'm working on right now, and it's actually a certificate that takes pretty close to a year to complete. Um, yeah, so it's up on countless hours and hours and a lot of paper writing and a lot of stuff and a lot of psychology and a lot of listening to to many different things. And then once you finish that course, you kind of take it into the, the things that you want to focus on. And, and for this, it's going to be, you know, fitness for in the travel industry, um, also relationships in the travel industry and um, personal and self-motivation on on how to become the things that you, or how to achieve the things that you, that you set out that you want to do.
0: Well, I think that's huge, especially I think another aspect to it, which is like mental health in our industry too, especially what's about mm-hmm. to come up on October 1st. I think a big mm-hmm. problem is, I mean, I've, I was asked this question on a podcast I was on with uh, Grounded with Joe Thomas, uh, formerly flight attendant Joe Thomas. And he said, do you identify as a pilot or is it just your job? And I was just like, well, I mean, I identify as a pilot, like that's who I am, mm-hmm. you know, it's like everything about me, I feel like is a pilot right now. And if I was to lose my job, I'd also lose my identity. And when you lose your identity, that can put you in a dangerous mindset and kind of like your self-worth can really plummet. So having that yeah. that ability to help in this industry right now, I think it's going to be it's going to be huge and it's something that this industry is going to need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's well said. But that's a really good example. So, yeah, man, we, we, it's just about like kind of seeing like, you know, um what the opportunities are going to be now once once the October 1st happens. Different opportunities for different people and it's just you know, maybe you know guiding them to knowing what other talents and other things that they have yeah. it's not really so over for people as they might think right. they say you
0: know yeah i mean when when you're going through a tough time or even when you're going through a good time you know you have tunnel vision all you can focus on what is so good or what is so bad it's hard to take yourself mm-hmm. out and see the big picture it's like when you're doing say you're having the, the best time of your life you might be forgetting some other parts of your life that you need to focus on and improve on and then all of a sudden the good part ends and you're in the bad part. And then all you can do is focus on the bad part. It's like, if you can uh-huh. just take yourself out of that situation and maybe like get a better kind of overview of what could happen and how you could still improve your life, you could, you can try to find some good out of bad. I don't want to say anything about this is good coming up because I mean, losing your job and losing your identity is something I would never wish on my worst enemy. So it's definitely going to be tough. Right. But like you said, there's going to be, there's there's other talents that pilots have pilots can offer, more than just fly whether they want to or right. not is a decision that they're going to have to make on their own. Mm-hmm.
1: Well said, easier said than done, but oh my well gosh, said.
0: so much easier said <laughs> than done. It is, it is not yeah. going to be easy at all. And I, I wish everyone nothing right. but the best, but mm-hmm. I wanted to transition a little bit over to fitness. Cause that's another thing that's really tough for pilots. I mean, you look now you see a lot of these, these older pilots or even younger pilots an hour. It, it's hard. It's hard to make good decisions on the road, especially for me. I'm on the road for eight days at a time. Sometimes we have so many options to order food from Grubhub or crew meals. And a lot of times they're not the healthiest options. So when you're done mm-hmm. flying a 14 hour day, you're done doing a 14 hour due day. The last thing you want to do is go home and eat a salad, drink a gallon of water. It's like, I want Chick-fil-A oh, with yeah, a large fries, a, peak mil- a peach milkshake, and then another order of large fries and another peach milkshake. You know, what, um, <laughs> What do? You, how do you view fitness? How do you view this on the road? Obviously for you, it's like, that, this is who you are. This is like down to your bone, like you are into fitness, you're into to being fit, making good decisions. But do you, when you're talking to someone, so you're talking to me to motivate me, how would you tell me to view this? Like, is it one decision at a time, just keep building on it? Or how can someone improve their fitness and their well being on the road?
1: Well, it definitely does come down to a lot of factors. You know, it comes down to the factors of like actual physical workout and it comes down to the factors of your nutrition. It comes down to the factor of the, your amount of water that you're taking in. And it comes down to a factor also of your sleep, what kind of sleep you're getting, right? So, if out of those four factors, one of them is off, it's going to throw off, it's going to create kind of like a chain effect, right? So, I'll give you an example. If your sleeping is off, right, for the next day and you're used to training really, really hard, you are not, you should not kind of train that hard on if you haven't been getting consistent good sleep because your energy levels are not the same to be able to, you, you might still get through that hard training, but You you know, your levels You're going to need more food than you were before because you need to replenish even more because you're tired. And now your performance won't be as great. And now since you're tired and you did so much performance at the gym, you're going to be a little more tired when you go fly. So you see how like just in one little example creates a huge chain effect in which, um, you know, it, it sucks a lot of energy from you. So my my biggest thing is about having a balance in between all four. So a lot of people usually get caught in a dilemma, and a dilemma is only when you're tied to two options, either this or this. Take yourself out of a dilemma, and what is a third option? A third option can be like, well, let's say, you're, let's say in your example, you're gone for eight days. Are you going to pack for eight days full of meals? Well, that's a little hard. You're going to need like probably like two lunch bags, right? So what if you just decide to, okay, well, what are the most meal, important meals for me? And you would say, well, the most important meals for me are probably where I should eat the healthiest is probably dinner before I go to bed, you know, like an hour or two before I go to bed. So I'm going to make an effort to pack the healthy, th- the healthy dinners and then the rest, my lunch and stuff like that, I can order from some- somewhere else and still try to make a conscious effort on, on, um, on ordering something healthy for your lunch. But at least you took the step to have healthy meals. So now you're taking a one step towards more to that progress. And progress is the key to fulfilling motivation and fulfilling your, your, um, your goals. If you try to go from zero to 100 and you don't see the progress right away, motivation tells to fall off. You, you know, the motivation just, it's not there at, after some point. So it really comes down to how you want to live your life, how you want to balance your life, I tell some people, why don't you just pack the healthy snacks, and then you make a good choice at the restaurants, healthy choice where you go out to eat, or the other way around. How about you pack all your lunches and dinners, and then the 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 snacks that you want to have, kind of make some healthy choices. Get like a like a like a veggie or like a green smoothie or something like that. So it really all comes down to it. And and it's not bad if you want to get Chick Fil A and stuff like that. And if you want to enjoy a pizza when you're out with your crew, or if you want to have like a couple of drinks, if your layover time lets you, you know, it's, you have to have a balance to that. You, you, sh- you cannot limit yourself to a dilemma of just two options. There's three, four, five, so many things that you can do that you can just balance your health. It's just that sometimes we get into that, 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 uh, tunnel vision that you kind of mentioned earlier when it's like, okay, if I need to be healthy, it needs to be like this. And no, there's, there's a whole lot more. there's, it's just that people need to be willing to be able to take in that extra information. And that's what I do with Fit Aviators Club. I give you all the extra information that you perhaps either learned at some point and maybe forgot or maybe didn't even know at all. But now it's in your hands and you have the power, you have the ability to take it however you want. And if you really, truly want to make a change for yourself, you will using that information you know
0: so what you're saying is the the program on right now 75 hard is not sustainable and i should quit right now and just to give up no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, i'm just kidding just oh, kidding i do not know about that yeah no i liked what you said I, I also liked when you when you brought up motivation one thing about, i found about motivation is you mentioned how when you don't see results you want to give up motivation only gets you so far you can only motivate yourself when i used to play football they used to tell that like they want people that can motivate themselves but there comes a time a point where that you need to find other sources of motivation. Like you can only motivate Mm -hmm. yourself so much. Like one day Mm -hmm. your motivation is not going to be there. You need to, I mean, this is kind of cheesy, but like what they say is like, you need to try to form a lifestyle out of this and, and the decisions Mm -hmm. that you make because a lifestyle can be forever. Motivation is just temporary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a good way to, to, uh, to, to keep that up is acknowledging your progress Okay, because sometimes a lot of people they just focus on let's say I want to lose, I want to lose um, twenty pounds, and so then what's what's so important about them losing twenty pounds? Why don't they just gain ten pounds of muscle? What's what's the difference? So you're already kind of starting to you're already kind of starting on a on a negative. I need to lose. Well, why do you need to lose? Like, let's just start off there, and then once they kind of realize, okay, well, I want to to shave all this weight off. Because I want to do this and I want to be like this. And I want to, for some people, whatever it is, it has to be compelling. It could be like, for example, let's say um, either a husband or a wife that have kids. They don't, spending time and playing with their kids is super important. All of a sudden their health is affected. And now they can't really do that that much. That should probably be a compelling reason of why you should want to keep your health up. Because so that you can go back and play with your kids if that's so important to you. So everybody has their own thing. And um, once, you, once you realize that and you start putting forth these certain goals, you can have daily goals, you have weekly, monthly, yearly, you should reward yourself a little bit for accomplishing a daily goal or for accomplishing a weekly goal. And that reward could be whatever it is. It could be, I don't know, go on, if you have a boat, go out on your boat. Or it could be if you like uh, doing a certain activity, go and do it. Because a lot of people, the way they view exercise and healthy lifestyle is like, I need to take time away from the things that I want to do to do something that I have to do. And if you can change the have to, to want to, you have a completely different view on what a healthy lifestyle is.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love everything you've Mm -hmm. been saying, man. Uh, Tell everyone (laughs) where they could... uh, where they could find you website, um, Instagram, whatever it may be, if they hear this and they're interested and they want to reach out.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you can find me on fit aviators club on Instagram and on Facebook. And also if you go to fitAviatorsclub.com, um, you can get some of that too. Reach out to me. If you, you know, if you, if you're looking for like motivational and life coaching stuff, or if you just want to tip on something, um, l- let me know. And I'm going to do my best that I can to help you out. And, um, Yeah, we can go from there. I also offer a 12-week workout program that is called the Ultimate Crew Workout Program. It was originally designed for uh, uh, John Rain and the F-16 demo team um, on their traveling to all these different air shows. And it includes a mixture of, you know, doing hotel gym workouts, in-your-room hotel workouts with uh, body weight or very little weight, very little equipment. And also when you get to come back home and you ha- and you do have a solid gym with more equipment and more um, resources available and what you can do there. And it's 12 weeks. It takes you through the four different phases of training. First, it goes through strength. Then it goes through hypertrophy, right, where you're building a little bit more muscle. Then after that, we focus on a little bit of plyometrics, which we're focusing on the, um, the, the, the explosiveness, so to say, of your muscle fibers. And then finally, on the fourth, on the fourth phase, we focus on putting all that stuff all together. So the main, main purpose of that workout program is not only to get you with good physical results and feeling better, but it's also to give you a foundation that these, this is how you properly do exercises because each and every single exercise and every workout is tied in with a video of me explaining how to do the workout. So I'm kind of, it's kind of like a set out workout plan personalized enough to show you how to do the workout properly and to get you the best results that you can. And now you have a solid foundation. So if you want to go out and venture on your own and experience different workouts and maybe mix and match some of these workouts, you can do it. You have that ability now because you were provided this kind of information. Perfect. I love it. Well, Fernando, you're
0: almost done with the podcast. I have one more section, a quick one, and then I have one more question for you. But this is called the rapid fire section. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of aviation questions and you just say the first and quickest thing that comes to your mind. No need for an explanation whatsoever.
1: Okay, let's do it. All right, I'm going to ask this one first. because What did you say? (laughs) I'm all stressed out and ready to go. Yeah, you better be
0: stressed. (laughs) It's going to be tough. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to ask this question first because uh, someone just messaged me this question. It is, what is your favorite aviation book?
1: Uh, aerobatics, Mike Goulian.
0: Okay. All right, here we go. We'll get back into the normal ones now. What is your favorite overall airplane out of any airplane ever made? What's your favorite? DC-10. Okay. What, is, what about like um, a corporate aircraft? Do you have a favorite? Like a Gulfstream, a Global, a <laughs> yeah. Latitude?
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, G-650. All right, cool. That's a good answer. All right. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen?
1: Oh, man. like an. Antonov or something. Like that. <laughs> That's good.
0: Here's a little harder one. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot?
2: Um, the amount of drinking involved.
0: <laughs> That's a good point. There's on, a lot of drinking
1: on your off days. Yes. On your off days. On your off days. <laughs> when when your layovers allow the timing, you know.
0: <laughs> I like that disclaimer. That's a good
2: one.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're, who in the industry would you like to meet most? Could be living, could could have
2: passed on by now. Oh wow! Um, I don't know.
1: I really, I've never ever
2: thought of that. Yeah. Tough questions, man. We'll yeah, come back to very right. tough.
1: Can, can we skip?
0: Yeah, we can skip. <laughs> we can skip. What's okay. your favorite thing about aviation? If you could just choose one thing about it, what would it be? Freedom. What's the hardest flight you've ever had?
2: um my aerobatics lessons what's your fav- most favorite approach you've ever flown
1: um the the uh what's that one into LaGuardia it's the it's the visual approach of a you follow a highway into LaGuardia it's all visual you come around like the Met Stadium and all that uh, yeah, I can't remember the name about. of that approach yeah I can't remember yeah. the name
0: either we don't go to LaGuardia yeah, too yeah. often but we live in Teterboro okay. all the time <laughs> oh I see <laughs> what is what's yeah. the hardest approach you've ever flown
1: The hardest approach I've ever flown, probably um, a Category 1 ILS in a little bit of thunderstorm at like 6.30 in the morning. Oh,
0: there you go. Nothing like that to start (laughs) off the day, right?
2: Nothing
1: like that. Four legs to go. Yeah,
0: I know. It's like, great. Can I fatigue now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite airport to land at?
2: Um, Miami, of course. (laughs) Hmm. What's your least favorite airport to land at? Uh, I'd say... Mm, that's a good one. That's hard. I would say probably
1: like uh, Del Rio, Texas.
2: Oh, it's very yeah. small. Yeah, Del Rio is yeah. interesting.
0: Um, yeah. Well, here's a good one. This is good for you too. You uh, you have like a thirty minute layover. You're in Miami. You have to get food. What is your go to airport food?
1: Go to airport food. I. You know what? I would probably get like a Cuban coffee.
0: Okay.
2: What is I'm so, nice. <laughs>
0: What's your, like, your number one cheat meal to get? For someone that's so fit, that loves fitness, what's like one thing that you just always like to have for a cheat meal?
1: Pizza.
0: Can't go wrong there. Pizza's the best. Mm-mm. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city?
1: Funny. I just had a discussion
2: with that yesterday with a friend. Um, I'd say beach. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Favorite airline livery? Airline what? Livery, paint job, paint scheme. I'd say Wow, Southwest actually has some pretty good ones.
0: I like the new blue one. The new blue one pops pretty well. I like
2: it. Yeah. Would you yeah. rather
0: fly long like one long trip? Let's talk about I'm talking about like a thirteen hour you're going from Dallas Fort Worth to to somewhere crazy, or would you rather fly five legs or six legs in one day?
1: I'd rather do a long haul.
0: What's your? Uh, we already talked about hardest ride? What's the
2: biggest regret in your career so far, if you have one? I don't. What's the biggest win in your career so far? Um, making it the captain. Yeah, congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. CRJ or ERJ? ERJ. As a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> they both fly the same. I don't know. I e- guess ERJ ER- is probably better. I
1: don't know. I I find that the CRJ is a little bit quieter, a little bit more powerful, but I I go with the ERJ. I got to go with what I fly, you know?
0: Yeah. The 170 is a very comfortable airplane as a passenger. So for me, I'm going to have to choose the 170, 175.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Would you rather
0: fly a Piper or a Cessna? Piper. Okay. If you could do it all again, would you choose 141 training or 61?
1: 141.
0: If you could travel anywhere in the world, you could go business class, you could go coach if you're crazy enough. What is your go-to airline or your dream airline to fly on?
1: Probably Qantas. Okay.
0: Well, those are all the rapid-fire questions. I only have one more question for you. You are uh-huh. inspiring someone right now on this podcast They reach out to you in your DMs. They're like, hey man, if you could just give me Three tips, three kind of uh, words of advice for me getting into this aviation industry. What would those three tips be? It could be more, it could be less. Just what's your kind of advice for for someone
2: getting into this industry? Um, well, I would definitely say, you know, really value how passionate you are about
1: aviation. When you go look at flight schools, make sure that you know they 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 treat you more than just a number. Um, know that when you when you do make it to the the, the end goal, which you would want to be in, whether it's airline or corporate, um, you know, just just know wh- what the sacrifices are going to be. Um, but at the very, very end, it's all about like what really motivates you to to be a pilot. And if it's because you're going to take someone from point A to point B, who's probably hasn't seen their family in 20 years or the first time that their dad, you're taking them to go see their son or daughter or whatever it is that is something that pilots really take pride in just, just trans transferring people from one place to another, because you never know what connections you're creating for those other people. You're just up in the flight deck and there's 50 to 200 and something right, right behind you. And you're creating uh, life changing moments for these people, uh, whether it's in business, whether it's in family um, or friendships, whatever it is you are, you are the one that's, responsible for that and it's a great great feeling so if you really value and cherish that no matter what hardships you go through in training or in your airline you know career it's it's all worthwhile because you are not only one of the most skillful people in the world but you're contributing to so many others by your skills and so that's what i would say to them
0: Perfect. I love it, man. Fernando, thank you so much for coming on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on and share your story. I look forward to this coming out. Uh, we can debrief a quick moment once we get off, but thanks, man. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it too, brother.
0: No problem. AV Nation, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like today's episode and you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Like I said, check us on Instagram, check out our Patreon page, and our shop. Shop if you're interested in staying fit on the road and you need some extra juice you need someone to help pump you up check out fernando's instagram page the aviators club and he can help you out there you can also reach out to me you can reach out to anyone else and uh, anyone else is doing the 75 hard challenge and we can help out as well but who knows if you're listening to this why i'm still doing that challenge but aviation i hope you're having a great day and as always happy flying